because I would continually overdraft checks. So every time I got paid, anywhere between $100 to $125 of my paycheck would actually go to cover my overdraft fees from the previous week or two. And it got to be so bad that I was about two months behind on my rent. Uh, my landlord was threatening to kick me out. I had to go to my parents and basically explain to them, hey, I, I really screwed up, can you guys help me? And thankfully they did. But by the time it got there, like I said, it was, it was pretty ugly. So when the church talks about money, it's, it's hard for me to make the distinction. I know growing up, you know, you always see the, the televangelists and people like that saying, hey, send me your money, you'll be eternally blessed. And I just never, I never bought into that. But I now, knowing what I know now, I understand more the role that money plays in supporting the kingdom, supporting the mission of the kingdom. And so it still kind of makes me twinge a little bit whenever money comes up in the church, but when it's approached in the biblical godly way, then it's a, it's a conversation that needs to happen. Uh, with me and my spouse, conversations about money, uh, back when we were both working two jobs and we only had one child, we didn't have them. Uh, you know, honey was flowing from the tree, everything was good. You know, just spend $10 on coffee every morning, didn't even blink an eye. Um, and then we had to go down to single income and two more kids came along and so now, we're in the process of learning how to budget. We've already done FPU, the Financial Peace University, once, and we tried to do the Ramsey-ish method, and uh, yeah, it didn't work. And this time we're, we're committing to do the full, the full day, but, but it's still a learning process. We haven't figured out zero-based budgeting quite yet. It's, it's tricky. The conversations now, when we're actually doing the budgeting, is we sit down every other week when payday comes around, and we lay out as best we're able to, you know, okay, what's, what do we have in the account? What's coming up? Uh, what do we need to get this time? Should we be putting something away for something down the line? You know, how are we gonna, how are we gonna go through these steps? And so it's, it's much more collaborative. Uh, things, things can get a little uncomfortable, heated sometimes when you have to have that conversation. It's like, no, we can't get that this time. But it's, it's, something, that, it's something that's helping us grow. My name is John, and that was my momentum story. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Pete, and I get to be one of the pastors here at Epiphany Station. And we're going to continue our conversation about money. And up to now, we've been talking about uh, spending it, saving it. We've been talking about the importance, the significance of having work and the ability to do, uh, to have purpose, things like that. This morning, we're going to be focusing on the, the subject of giving with our money. And, and just let me preface from, from the get-go that uh, giving can certainly mean more than simply monetarily. It can be giving of our time, it can be giving of our resources, all these sort of things, and to different places. But for the purposes of our conversation this morning, as we uh, have been talking about money this whole, whatever, however many weeks it's been, and as we read scripture, uh, we're focusing on, on the financial aspect of, of giving. 
Our core text uh, comes from two different references in Scripture, one from Matthew 6.21, the other from Luke 12.34. It's just so important. It says this, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. It was the spring of 1998, and uh, Paulette and our son Matthew and myself, we were living at my sister and family's home for uh, several months to recuperate from my car accident. And so in that process, we found out all kinds of things about the people around us. Not that we didn't know that they were kind people, that they were generous people and and, uh, good friendships and so on, but... When you have a a specific need, and some of you understand what this is about, when you have a specific need, especially as it relates to your finances, uh, you can become overwhelmed by people's generosity, things like that. Well, it was later on, actually, it was probably the more toward 1999, and on one particular day, we, uh, from the mailbox, we, we got a letter, we opened the letter, and here it was a note. And this note had stamped on it, paid in full. Some of you are probably uh, catching on to what that was about. Someone unanimously, someone anonymously paid our mortgage in light of everything that had taken place over the last year and a half. It was pretty overwhelming. We began to, you know, feel all kinds of feelings. We sort of wanted to know who it was, but yet we respected their desire that it would remain anonymous. Crazy generous. This morning we're having a conversation about giving. But first, let me say this, a couple things from the start. God does not need our money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He, he owns everything. Everything on the, on the earth is his. So he doesn't need our money. And giving is not for his sake, it's really for ours. And when we honor God through our giving we can begin to understand what that means. If you have your program notes in front of you, this is a good time to start jotting some things down. First thing, giving is, is in itself an act of worship. Giving is in itself an act of worship. The definition of worship comes from the old English word worth, W-O-R-T-H, worth-ship. And this is really getting to the heart of the matter. Lord, you are worth it. A good working definition of worship is praise to God through attitude and actions. We come together here on a Sunday morning. We we sing songs. That's worship. We hear teaching. That's worship. We read scripture. That's worship. We greet each other as we come in the door. That's worship. And then throughout the week, we go to work. Lord, everything that I do may be a reflection of my love for you. That's worship. You're at home with the kids. That's worship. You're you're out having coffee with a friend. Yes, even that can be worship. We have a wonderful illustration of a picture of worship in Mark chapter 12. Just to set the scene, Jesus is in the temple along with some of his disciples, his followers, And people are putting money in the money box. And in verse, uh, beginning at verse 41 of Mark chapter 12, we read this. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. 
Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus calling his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. There's so much here in this short span of time to observe. First of all, Jesus is just simply people watching. He's looking around to make an observation about the people putting money in the money box, the offering box. And first, there's this distinction between those that have a lot and then one that has very little. But in order for us to better grasp the the, the context of what's going on here, we need to read a couple verses before as Jesus is continually teaching as he says this in verse 38 of Mark chapter 12. Beware of these teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces. And how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and they pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be even more severely punished. We see Jesus sitting and watching people putting money in the box. And it seems kind of harsh maybe on one hand to hear him say, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But then he goes on to commend the widow, poor as she is. She's given everything she's had and that she owns to live on. This was a true act of worship on the part of this woman, not for show, not for status, rather out of a heart, worshiping God, as if to say, Lord, you're worth it. Second point, we give out of trust and obedience. We give out of trust and obedience. If we trust someone, it's much easier to obey them. And this woman apparently trusted God for her every need. The Apostle Paul came to understand this as well as he wrote a letter and it's called Corinthians, to the Corinthian people, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and it says this, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. See, Paul discovered what this widow, what this woman already knew. Out of her trust in her Lord, she was able to give at all, obedience and trust go hand in hand. I think it's especially significant that this account tells us about a widow. Because Jesus had compassion on those that were seemingly helpless, the widow, the orphan, people like that, in situations like that. And in Luke chapter 7, we're not going to go to that account. I'm just going to sort of describe the scene. 
Luke chapter 7, Jesus is walking to a city called Nain. Nain, it's up in Galilee, up in the northern reaches of, of Israel. And, and just, just to help you understand sort of the, the geography here, uh, Israel, this, the nation of Israel is, is very small. It's about the size of the arrowhead in Minnesota. And so if we were to expand that size and just pretend that Israel is the same size as uh, Minnesota, Jerusalem would sort of be where Minneapolis-St. Paul are. And then the city called Nain would be up by sort of Hibbing Grand Rapids, up in that area. So Jesus is going north. He's uh, with his followers. And they come across a funeral procession in the city of Nain. A mother is bearing her son. Jesus has deep compassion, deep concern. And he approaches the coffin and he commands the son to rise up, to get up. And he does. Resurrected from the dead. And the account concludes by saying this. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Deep compassion. Widows who trusted God had deep trust and faith in God's ability to provide. But I think it says something for all of us, not widows only. It's times that we seem to experience God's closeness and provision the most when we have the least. It seems to work that way. Because we're called to account. We're, we're really focused on the situation. We know we need help. It's an opportunity to trust God. There's a man named R.G. Letourneau. He was uh, known for his big earth-moving equipment, an entrepreneur who trusted God and actually began to tithe up to the point where he almost gave it all away. About 90% of his income he would give away. And he famously said this, I shovel out the money and God shovels it back. God has a bigger shovel. He doesn't need our money. But he will bless what we give when we give with a trusting heart. And if we were watching this widow give that day, I'll bet we would have seen joy in her eyes. Because she had a deep trust in God's provision for her life. Her treasure was not in her money. Her treasure was in her trust and faith in her Lord. And God is amazingly merciful about our giving. In fact, it's really between the giver and God himself, not anybody else. God provides freedom in giving. Another thing that Paul says about giving in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is this. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. There was a time in my life, earlier in our marriage, where I didn't have much regard for giving, really. I didn't feel the need to do that. And my wife, however, did feel a regard and a need to do that on a consistent basis. And so 
in time, I sort of came around to recognize and understand the real benefits of, of giving. As I began to see it as an act of worship, number one, Lord, you are worth it. And then number two, to understand that I can trust God for everything. And then the third point, of course, to know that I could do it in a way that would bring me joy and not reluctance or, or, or not one of these have-to-do kind of things. You know, I'm thinking and reflecting more on that widow. One of the neatest things about her, we don't know her name. The Bible doesn't give her name. It could be anybody. She just gave. Nobody knew her name. Well, sure some did, but we don't. And it reminds me of, of, of our friend giving anonymously. We didn't know her name. Whether it's paying off a, a mortgage or a couple coins, both honoring to God. Finally, we can never outgive God because He gave His all for us. Let's transition here to the receiving part of giving because it completes the circuit. If you give, you have to have a receiver. So often in our lives, when someone is deeply generous to us, there's there's this tendency for us to sort of push that away or, or, or at least to think that now there's something that I need to do in order to pay back this debt. At least I feel better about it. We're not comfortable with someone paying a debt on our behalf. And it's an irony that it can be more difficult to receive than to give. Now, that's in a, in a financial sense, but in a spiritual sense as well. God sends Jesus for the purposes of dying on a cross, a death that where none of us, no human being, is qualified to die, to pay a debt that none of us are qualified to pay. I've had recent conversation with people who are Christian, Christians in the sense of their trusting God. They know that their sins are forgiven. Jesus has forgiven their sins. And, and God sees perfection because of what Jesus has done. And yet, different things that come up in their minds that they can't shake. And they struggle to forgive themselves. Sometimes it's difficult to receive gifts, especially when it comes to our own lives and the things that we seemingly can't reconcile or, or, or make right in our own thinking. We've got to go back to the very core of the message of the gospel. If Jesus has already forgiven us and we've come to him in faith and we trust in him and, and, and we... We recognize his forgiveness. We acknowledge his forgiveness. And we thank him for it. 
and we come along and we have this struggle to forgive ourselves, we need a greater dose, an understanding of his grace and his mercy in our lives. There's an old hymn called Jesus Paid It All. It's true. Nothing I can add. Can't do penance. Just accept. Accept that gift, that gift of grace, freely given. I'm going to ask the music team to, to come up as we're, we're talking about the, the ability to receive from God, knowing that it's all a gift. Here at Epiphany, we do what we call next step every Sunday, and I like to think of it as this. We put, put feet to what we read in, in the Bible, to what we're taught, to what the Holy Spirit is laying on our heart to do. Again, our core text, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Let's consider our hearts as the next step is consider giving as an act of worship. Consider giving as an act of worship. We have here an offering box that are in various places throughout Epiphany Station. Some of you give online and others put money in this box. But the challenge is this, to, to recognize that, that giving is more than just simply putting money in a box. But it's an act of worship. And so, as you do this act of worship, consider that he is worth it. Everything about God is worth it. And then recognize that he is completely trustworthy. And so, in obedience, I can do what I do when I place money in this box. And, and then remembering that his grace and his mercy tells me that I ought not give feeling constrained or pressured in any way, but I, I, can, I can freely, joyfully, cheerfully give what he lays on my heart to give. And then to be reminded that I can never outgive God. He doesn't need my money. But I can experience his favor when I trust him, when I acknowledge his worth, and when I give cheerfully. In a moment, we're going to have uh, communion. We have two stations. We have uh, grape juice and, and the bread and, and uh, gluten-free option as well. So I invite the, the middle section, if you'd be the first to go to either side and then come back to the side aisles and then the other two will follow. But let's consider, as, especially as we're considering giving now, what a better time to think about giving when we think about the greatest gift ever given 
is the gift we're about to celebrate right now, to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. So if, if your faith and your trust is in Jesus Christ, and he's your Savior, he's your Lord, he's your King, this is for you. If you've not yet made that decision, come to that point in your life, and after our communion time, we'll have uh, people come up here to pray. People come up, coming up here to pray with you if you have any, any certain concerns or maybe you want to trust Jesus for your salvation. People are up here to pray with you. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, as, as we acknowledge that uh, your gift is the greatest gift ever, there's nothing we can ever do to earn it. Oh Lord, may we be overwhelmed by that grace and that mercy today. In Jesus' name, amen.